For the next 30 minutes, we're going to be discussing Crime Scene, The Vanishing at Cecil Hotel, produced by Netflix. This documentary covers the disappearance and death of Canadian college student Elisa Lam at a Los Angeles hotel with a seedy past. We are going to give you the ultimate critique of what this documentary did well and where they fell short in the coverage of Elisa Lam's case. So let's spill the tea. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And, and we are Crime TV. Welcome back. So today we are talking about Crime Scene, The Vanishing at Cecil Hotel on Netflix. Just know that we're about to do a review, an in-depth discussion, and we're going to do a lot of investigation of our own. So if you haven't watched it yet, pause this podcast, go watch it on Netflix, and then come right back because we're going to spoiler alert the shit out of this documentary. If you plan to pause this podcast and watch, just know um, there are four hour-long episodes to cover this case. So be ready. So, Erin, what's the tea for you? You know what? I have to start with how disorganized this entire documentary was. I was very unhappy with the organization here. I, I just honestly don't even know where to start. I think, first off... We get a very little setup. We basically get why Elisa was in LA in the first place. Um, and that's kind of the setup for the whole thing. We still don't really know what's happening. And then police start talking about the the camera footage that they reviewed as part of this case. Um, keep in mind, this is 35 minutes into the first episode. So they have wasted a lot of time on setup here. And we finally get this quote from one of the police officers involved in the case. And um, he says, you know, this girl never left this hotel. Pretty confidently he says Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I was confused and I feel like that's very problematic because we don't, we have not seen any of the details to back that up. I mean, they even said there were very few cameras in the hotel. I think there was one at the main entrance and one of the back doors. Right. It was maybe kind of like, multiple back doors. Yeah, like those really common areas. And it was like, you know, 1998 camcorder quality video cameras. And there was few and far between of them. There were fire escapes, multiple, I think, that didn't have cameras. Window exits did not have cameras. I don't even think that the rooftop no. had a camera. The rooftop mm-hmm. door had a camera. So, I mean, just... We have no evidence to back up a statement like this. We actually find out where the cameras were and what didn't didn't have cameras all the way in the third episode. You have to get three hours in before finding out that there was actually evidence that the police have on video to be able to say she didn't leave the hotel. Like, that's ridiculous. Put that in at the same point. Mm-hmm. Why are we wasting our time like this? And then we get to the elevator video. The notorious elevator video that was heard around the world. Literally started this whole thing. Um, and Erin, you feel a little bit more passionately than I do about these supernatural theories. Listen, I... If you're going to show elevator footage, and they show the full four-minute clip, the like, we sit there... For a full four minutes watching this elevator door. The next thing in this documentary should not 
B, all of these supernatural theories. Ghost. About how there's a ghost or or how the hotel is cursed. I, I just, if you think the hotel is cursed, go for it. Do what you got to do. I, you know what? I love a good ghost story. I, I believe in ghosts. I'll say it. Um, is that relevant in this documentary? No, no, absolutely not. Well, it was supernaturally ghosty enough that um, Ryan Murphy kind of played the hotel season of American Horror Story based off of um, Sissel. No fucking way. Are you kidding me? I, I am dead serious. I did not know that. I love that. That's kind of like his inspiration for, you know, when our Lord and Savior, Lady Gaga, was this kind of vampirous, like, emperor over the hotel and all these people were disappearing in walls and all these mysteries it was based off of sizzle that is insane i love that show and i never knew that that netflix should have done a documentary on that that would have been a lot better yeah so if you feel like you want to learn more about sizzle just go watch that that season of american horror story and it's that much better <laughs> i'm gonna have to rewatch that season now that i've now that i know something about the cecil hotel that is insane i love that thank you Thank you for that info. Um, but yeah, I feel like outside the supernatural theory that they try to throw at us, I feel like there was a lot of other really far-fetched conspiracy theories about like the Lamb Elisa TB test that shortly went around the Skid Row community after she was found. They almost made these conspiracy theories seem like season one of Stranger Things. Like, she just went into the upside down, basically. I just feel mm-hmm. like these conspiracy theories were so far-fetched. So, so they, they show this elevator video and immediately jump into all of these conspiracy theories, supernatural explanations, all of this stuff. And then, um, again, in episode three, three hours of my time later, we finally hear from the police that reviewed the video... That, like, the timestamp had been slightly blurred to cover up certain details from the public. Um, they that, didn't chop and screw anything. Like, yeah, like, there was nothing tampered with on their end. We find out the managers didn't even have access to the video to be able to tamper with it, which is another one of those conspiracy theories thrown around. So, like, again, like, you know, they've built up to a lot of stuff that we find out three hours later actually was never even a thing and then i guess the real big final general disorganization throughout this entire documentary that we both saw is that there was this box from the bookstore the last bookstore how eerie is the last bookstore the last place she went um but there was this box that she got a new book from and she got it delivered to the hotel and in episode one, we see an interview with a bookstore clerk. And then we had no idea how they got there. But then three hours later, we learned about this book delivery that she received at the hotel. From that the police officers saw in the video footage when they were watching all of the camera footage from Elisa's stay. Like, they knew about this from the beginning and deliberately did not include this until, you know, you've wasted three hours of your time into this documentary it was really upsetting I was so I was so mad at that because I remember thinking when they when they showed 
the last place that they know she was that book this bookstore um I remember thinking I was like how did they know she was there like did they just check receipts did did they have like receipts from her wallet or whatever and turns out it's this box that was like with all of her belongings mm-hmm. from the bookstore and they had video footage of of someone delivering the box to her at the hotel like why wouldn't that be included <laughs> I don't get it I feel like this documentary <laughs> was more like conspiracy drama than it was just like factual information um and had it just been more of an informational um documentary i feel like they could have condensed it into an hour to an hour and a half at most oh for sure for sure and and that was another thing that made it really hard to get through this documentary was there was no timeline present you know most true crime documentaries if you're if you watch true crime regularly if it's something you're super into or whatever you know they always have a running timeline mm-hmm. and as they figure out new information they show you that timeline and they include the new information that they found this documentary had no timeline i think it told us once that uh, this was occurring in 2013 and that's like all we got that was literally all we got very nice <laughs> oh 19 days after the initial yeah. search for elisa lamb they found her body so we know that in 2013 there was at least 19 days between <laughs> a search for her in the hotel and finding her body yeah. that was, is the only semblance of a timeline yeah, that we received it was pretty unclear i was not happy and then let's talk about your favorite these credible sources <laughs> i would just want you to teach the people <laughs> of how you feel about these web sleuths. Listen, I have no problem if you are a web sleuth, if you like looking for details, if you like poring over cases that are go- ongoing to try and look for details or clues or suspects or At information. <laughs> At Alyssa, yes. <laughs> that's totally cool. Like, that's a great hobby. You maybe, maybe you have helped a case before maybe who have found information that led to a suspect or something but here's the thing if your title in a documentary is youtuber that is the title of your job given get the fuck out of here i do not have time for it this is a true crime documentary why is this being presented by youtubers in in completely different countries there's uh, ah I, that's just not it's just not reasonable we don't need to do that like that's not a reliable source there were more i actually took a tally when i was watching this you guys because there were actually more non-reliable or non-credible sources in this documentary than we saw sources like the manager of the hotel detectives on the case things like that that's a problem. I feel like the web sleuths of this documentary try to be what the web sleuths of Don't Fuck With Cats were doing. Like, for all those web sleuths, if you are listening from Don't Fuck With Cats, I hope you win every lottery that has ever crossed your way. I hope your mother has a great Christmas. I hope all your children are born with a full head of hair. You've done the damn thing, baby. Um, and I'm so I just proud wanna, of you. I just want to say, I think babies born with full heads of hair are actually quite terrifying oh, i love them <laughs> i don't wish that on you but it's not out of malice <laughs> well i hope that everything good ever comes your way 
Um, the only person that I can give credit to in this documentary is my my guy, my dude, the one that went into the elevator, pushed the door open button, and timed it. You you did it. Congratulations, baby. And it was like a two minute timer, and that explains that reason why that door wasn't closing because she kept hitting the door open button. Good job, web sleuth. Like. That's it. That's the only one of you that gets credit from me <laughs> or Aaron. Yeah, no, I've, yeah, I've got to agree. I mean, um, if you're going to call yourself a web sleuth, if you're going to look for clues, if you can find the zip code listed on the bookstore directory that leads to a cemetery where Elisa Lamb is now buried in Canada, if you can find that, do better. T- time an elevator button, you know? Do the little things too. That, that one really killed it for me. And then our general manager, Amy, God bless her. Oh, Amy. God bless her. <laughs> you know, this this Netflix documentary did her dirty. They really did. They, I feel like they cut a lot of scenes where, like, she was making weird faces to kind of give, like, her this, like, uneasy, unstable, like, give her just bad vibes. Yeah, she did. She gave off bad, bad vibes, and I don't think it was her fault. I think you're right. I think that... Uh, the way that her interviews were edited and added in were just really made her look kind of suspicious. And I feel like you and I, we both suffer from the horrible syndrome of resting bitch face. (laughs) And I feel like that's how they caught her. She was just sitting there like waiting for the next question. And she's kind of just got this bitchy look on her face. And they're like, oh yeah, let's get this and put Amy on absolute blast. Yeah, um, I will agree with that. I don't think it was done right. I mean, obviously, if you are the manager of a hotel that has what, what did they say, over 700 rooms? Mm -hmm. 700 rooms in this hotel, guys. Like, this is a giant hotel. I don't think people realize the scale of how big this hotel is. It's about 700 rooms. 700 rooms, (laughs) yes, thank you. Like, if you're the manager of a 700-room hotel and you're in the middle of L.A., in a bad area of L.A. A bad area is putting it nicely. I like, and Super some, sketch. And some girl comes into your lobby waving her arms around saying she's crazy. What are you going to do? You know, you're not going to react to that. You have been desensitized to so much. I don't even think that would have crossed her radar. It, she was just like, oh, another another girl in the hotel. I think in one part of the documentary, Amy says that in her 10 years of being a general manager, there was 80 deaths in the hotel. I think a, a death almost every month would desensitize me a little bit too to, to this girl just kind of making weird hand gestures and running around a hotel like a banshee. Like, that's the least of my worries right now. And you know what? Um... I know some people commented, you know, like, 80 deaths, like, in 10 years. That seems excessive. And, like, yeah, it does seem excessive. Like, if you're staying at your hometown Holiday Inn and they're like, yeah, we've had 80 deaths, you wouldn't stay there. But we have to remember this part of L.A. is called Skid Row, where this hotel is. It is known for its homeless population primarily. It's not a nice area of town. They had historians in in this documentary talking about the issues with Skid Row's population and how, you know, even psych hospitals would drop patients off at Skid Row when their time at the hospital was done if, if they didn't have someone to come pick them up or, or take them in. And so, like, when you put it into perspective like that, I mean, 80 deaths is 
actually probably not that many. Well, you have to think about the people that are in that area. And if they were, if they had any kind of sickness, if they had any kind of illness, they're probably not going to have the medical care access like you or I have. Definitely not. And so they're probably looking for a place to get some AC and passed away for whatever reason. So for as morbid as that sounds, I mean, they could have had any sickness. And you know what? This really plays into how many tangents this documentary went on. I mean, oh my god. I know more about the Cecil Hotel than I actually care to know. And there were, guys, this is a four-hour documentary about the case of Elisa Lamb. There were two Skid Row-specific historians as interviewees. Now, I get that they wanted to build the context of what kind of place this was and how, you know, Elisa Lamb may have ended up in the situation she did. I get that we can have that context, but we can give that context in like two minutes. We do not need two Skid Row historians and 12 tangents about what went on in that area. Not relevant to the case. Not relevant to the case. I know you're a fan of this case in particular, but... I mean, we went on a 10 to 15 minute tangent about the Night Stalker of LA that mm-hmm. was active and and stayed at the Cecil Hotel, fair enough. In the 80s, though, when when Alyssa did um, Elisa Lamb stay at Cecil Hotel? Um, I believe it was in 2013, almost 30 years after Richard Ramirez was even caught. Oh, so do we think that that's a relevant thing to spend 15 minutes of this documentary on? Absolutely not. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right. So I'm going to switch gears and go a little bit forensic files on you guys. Um, For myself, who has been watching all Dateline, CSI, forensic, you know, all the dark and spooky stuff since I was probably 11 years old. This is Alyssa's 10 minutes of forensic files. Um, so I guess like just looking at the forensic science like I kind of question it whenever they find her in the water tower and they they don't really clearly state if they remove her body before or after they drain regardless of that they drain the water and I'm sure there is not like this gray like net or something to catch what in this water like had she been shot like if there was a bullet casing or any kind of like a piece of forensic evidence it probably got lost down the drain for wherever it let out and there you are your credible evidence pieces down the sewage pipes in LA I kind of felt like that was weird to just drain the water tower and then the Emmys report. God bless Amy, the general manager, and the medical examiner yes. in this case. The two uh, good guys of this documentary. I felt like he did a good job of explaining his findings in her autopsy. He said that there was no apparent signs of ligature marks or strangulation of any sort, a stab wound, lacerations, gunshot wound, nothing. Um, and he went on to say that It's very likely a drowning, but we're going to keep it open for further investigation because the autopsy was borderline inconclusive based off of what he had. Yep. And I want to input as well, if 
if you haven't seen this, if you if you're listening to this and despite all of our warnings, you have not watched it beforehand, just chaos. <laughs> um, again, we don't see a lot of the coroner reports until the fourth episode mm-hmm. of of this documentary, the last hour, literally. So it's really hard to find everything else in this documentary even slightly plausible, especially with the one or two episodes that was dedicated almost exclusively to web sleuth theories and or tangents about Skid Row. Mm -hmm. When in the last hour, we finally get the medical examiner going, hey, she drowned. Hey, she had, you know, these medications in her system. It just, you know, that just, that's something you would want to put at the forefront. But again, I don't have a timeline, so I don't know how long it was between when they found her body and when the coroner released this report and when... I, we don't have a timeline. I don't know, guys. I, I, I can't comment. I don't know. I, I've got major beef with Netflix right now because <laughs> this was such a mental health-driven case, but they just kind of they kind of did not you know display the mental health sections of this documentary very well in the elevator video she elise lamb goes out of the elevator she acts like she's hiding Uh, she's almost acting as if someone's chasing her and having been diagnosed with bipolar one disorder she probably has some history with delusion and that's kind of what her sister told investigators as well but we didn't find that out until like the last 30 minutes of this four hour long documentary and also like would they not have talked to the family first thing like as soon as elisa goes missing and they start this investigation into her at that point disappearance wouldn't you have talked to the family and found all of this information out Mm -hmm. i where are the details in this documentary about four years ago probably now Um, I worked as a caregiver in a hospital setting and I had some psychiatric patients and I had numerous ones um, that were diagnosed with schizophrenia and the way that she was acting in this elevator video mirrors almost to the T what my psychiatric patients were displaying. They always thought that I was out to get them. I was part of the government. Like they always felt like somebody was chasing them. They wanted to hide. And I think her going into the water tower was like her hiding from whoever she thought was chasing her in that elevator video. Yeah, once we once we were actually given all of the details at the end of this this whole documentary, mm-hmm. it kind of becomes a very clear case of a psychotic break, a mental health issue. Even the coroner's report, which we love the coroner so much, he's our favorite, says that, you know, the the pill bottles that they found did not have the number of pills, like they had more pills than they should have for the date that the the prescription was filled and she had lower doses of her medication in her system than would be expected if she was taking her medication properly. So we really start to see in the final episode that that basically this this poor girl just was struggling with her mental health, was not taking her medication properly and and obviously was on her own, didn't have someone with her checking in on her. Yeah. And, and it's likely thought, although not known, I guess, that she just had a psychotic break and ended up in that water tower, like, tank on accident, mm-hmm. you know? And I think to have 
four episodes detailing everything from supernatural conspiracy theories, blowing up the drama, accusing a random hotel guest of, of murder. Um, I, I mean, just this whole thing was built up just to kind of be in the last few seconds. They're like, oh, but really, this all has a very, very plausible explanation. And here's what it is. She was mentally unwell. You know, I was disappointed. Not just in the way that Netflix presented the the mental health aspect of this case, um, but also in how much hype they put into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even calling it the vanishing at Cecil Hotel, like she was never found. Mm-hmm. Like there was not a plausible reason that she, she, her death, you know, came about. Um, it kind of like builds you up to this like grandiose murder mystery or mysterious disappearance that actually not that mysterious not grandiose just sad i think that i guess you know to further proclaim my beef with netflix is in this documentary they go into the morbid guy and like all the web sleuths attacking him and just saying like you know you're gonna go down for this you know you should be murdered that sort of thing and he is talking about like how he was suicidal because of these comments and people threatening him and like social media getting deactivated he really felt like it was intrusive and he was suicidal and nobody really like says sorry to him nobody like tries to make any kind of resolution with him and then we go back into talking about um, Elisa Lamb's mental health and Netflix like sprinkles a little dash of mental health awareness seek help at this website you know know the signs type of thing like I feel like it was really tasteless for like all of Elisa Lamb's issues to kind of be boiled down to mental health problems and then Netflix just like gives us a 10 minute little screen with a blurb on it about seeking mental health yeah it was very half-hearted didn't it was disingenuous at best And, you know, like you said, they even had, I mean, they have these web sleuths that were blaming this, this random guest of the hotel, who, by the way, let me just, another tangent on web sleuths, if you'll allow. (laughs) Don't claim to be a web sleuth if you can't figure out that the guy you are claiming has supposedly murdered a hotel guest was not even at that hotel that entire year that Elisa was there. He stayed at the hotel independently an entire year before Elisa Lamb ever even came to California. Yeah. Like, you're telling me you're a web sleuth and you can't figure that out? You're instead just going to jump on this guy for murder when he didn't do anything wrong, had no connection to the case whatsoever? That's crazy. And you've got him on the documentary speaking about his experience and how it affected him. You've got the web sleuths that started part of the investigation into this guy, and you don't have them apologize for what what they caused, what happened to him. But then you plug mental health at the end. You're right. It's, it is not okay. It's tasteless. Very, very tasteless, yes. So with all that being said, Erin, as for our first episode, we absolutely teared down Netflix as a whole. I'm hoping Netflix doesn't deactivate our account. I don't want <laughs> to rip Netflix a new one, but I had to. But this one was just a beat-up job. It was deserved. So, Erin, 
kind of have your final thoughts and ratings on this. Final thoughts, don't watch this documentary. If you didn't listen to us and you just listened to this without watching the documentary, first of all, you're probably very lost. <laughs> Second, um, now you know that you don't have to watch it. And if you had already watched it, especially if you watched it at our request, I am sorry that you had to waste four hours of your life on it. I think it's terrible. I give it zero cups of tea. <sighs> on a scale of up to five cups of tea from myself personally, I'm going to give it a one. And that's only because my guys, the medical examiner, and that one web sleuth that did the damn thing. That's it. That's the only credit I'm giving this documentary. Other than that, like, this is probably in my top three most hated documentaries I've ever watched. <laughs> you know, I, um, yeah, I just really did not enjoy this. I had almost nothing but complaints. Yeah. Almost nothing but complaints. So, to wrap us up on this tea serving today, um, I would like to request that you guys make any suggestions that you would like to see a certain documentary or show being discussed. You can send that to our email account. That's going to be crimetv, T-E-A-V, at gmail.com. Yes, don't forget the weird spelling of tea. <laughs> So send us any suggestions on documentaries that you want to see, or if you have any constructive feedback for us, we are more than willing to accept. Also check us out on Instagram at crimetv, spelled the same way as our Gmail, T-E-A-V. And Erin, do you want to tell them what we are talking about next week? Yes, I can. Join us next week. We are going to be talking about American Murder, The Family Next Door on Netflix. So we would love to have you join us. See you guys later. Bye.